Welcome to Tactical Permaculture. I've worked on projects ranging from the poorest to richest clients, from inner cities to suburbs to farmlands to remote wilderness, from the eco-war front lines to celebrity backyards. In over 25 years of service to the earth and the community of life, I've learned that in the fight for sustainable survival, growing is half the battle. Go to tacticalpermaculture.com for more info. You gotta train for me Because I'm training for you We gotta love, love And revolution to do You better train for Episode 23, Medical Anarchism, Red Crossing, the Green and Black Flag, originally published June 10th, 2022. I have been um, looking forward to this topic for a while now, and uh, I started binging on the um, survival survival medicine hour um, podcast that is done by Dr. Bones, Joe Alton and Amy Alton, a doctor and nurse prepper survival um, medicine duo. They're they're really the uh, the go-to resource in the survival industry for uh, medical preparedness, and they supply a lot of um, a lot of different kits. And they've written at least a couple or more books, and they're really the I think the best uh, authority in the world when it comes to strategizing and skill building for scenarios, uh, pre-apocalyptic, trans-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic, all of the above, to be prepared for being your own first response in a medical emergency and even being your own permanent response if there is no no access to modern healthcare which depending on where you are in the world that could already be now so I think a lot of the the audience are people who are relatively well off already living in the industrialized north so to speak and who are dabbling in the thought experiments of what it would be like to live in in medical austerity whereas a huge percentage of the world right now already already is in those dire living in those dire circumstances and and really just chronically plagued by the degradation of hygiene the degradation of um water purity, water filtration and purification and sanitation and just a a lack of uh, access to affordable, basic medical hospital supplies, let alone more... um, the nuances of pharmaceuticals for various conditions and whatnot so so for a long time for me as a a very um, 
what's the word, what's the best way to put it? A, um, well, I, I would say that I have been an, an anarchist philosopher since I was 12 years old. And that doesn't mean I'm great, that I'm amazing. It just means that um, I've, been, I've been exploring literature and and thinkers and collectives and I have been a, a, an, an adventurer on this journey of exploring the infinite inquiry that is what might human society look like without a state apparatus um, molesting its natural organic flow of polity, if you will. I mean, there's many, many ways to, um, to introduce this, this um, movement of, of, of many, of many subcultures uh, within anarchism. But um, yeah, it did, it did, because I have been a student of so many different subcultures of anarchism, I will say that, yeah, around 12 years old, I was getting into I had not discovered primitivism yet, and although I was very um, allured by the mystique of the, I, I will never say noble savage, but the mystique of the, um, of the beauty of, of First Nations and my sense of being very alienated and disconnected from the earth and very alienated from, from ethnicity, and um, an interesting sort of um, irony is that uh, uh, for a lot of anarchists who who have not really explored um, an anti-civilization or primitivist critique or both, <laughs> they're they're really um, operating from that unilineal cultural progression framework in other words in simpler terms the idea that progress is towards liberation from a primitive state of barbarism where life was nasty brutish and short and bubba clubba would just club a woman over the head and drag her into a cave and rape her and it was civilization and it was it was this intermediary phase of government that built systems for rights, civil rights and, and, and public administration and that and that ideally in a utopian society we'll be able to like shed the training wheels of state nanny state playpen existence as, as a human um, experiment of life on earth and that we will eventually progress on that unilineal straight or uh, th that line of progression towards greatness as it were um with technology and with i mean that's the uh that's the sort of um the pre-primitivist not that is the the classical anarchist sort of trajectory which is just baked it's just really emerging from what some people might call just leftism or um I don't want to get into all of the the backbiting politics of it, but I will say that um, 
as an anarchist 12 year old, I was stuck in that narrative <laughs> and I had not reconciled the irony that I was actually very much wanting to connect with the earth and very much wanting to respect indigenous peoples and learn from them and live humbly and live um, and live in a in a an eco village autonomous eco village type of type of life that that would have been the lifestyle and that would be the the planet I want to inhabit that's sustainable local village level where whatever hierarchy of um, power exists it's really delegated in a meritocracy to elders and um and that there's a lot of face-to-face um, -face interaction to to resolve um, issues and that uh, it would be very much a a more direct democracy and this was all very um it's like all of those hints were were there in me but i was still stuck in that in that progressive mentality that it's almost like well the the idea is that every society ha has to go through these evolutionary phases in order to graduate into the utopian vision of a of an anarchist civilization because sure you could have statelessness it's very relatively easy to be stateless if you're living in a small group and you're and you're nomadic the error in the thinking that that is i believe corrected by anarcho primitivism and anti-civilization critique is that is that the the ideal is not to make civilization sustainable and then try to prove this completely um, uh, biased sort of technophilic vision of a of a utopian civilization like a utopian um, anarcho uh, Starfleet Federation colonizing space that it's very seductive to to wanna to want to have that as a dream but the the more um humble and more earth honoring and honoring of the victims of progress perspective to have would be that no let's stop trying to perfect this project of civilization which is inherently about control domination exploitation to say the very very least and let's actually look at the ancestral lifeways and then rewild now so that we can experience that experience as much as we can and heal as much as we can and be a wall and be feral from civilization and realize that statelessness was the original state and it was not chaos it was a, a beautiful form of egalitarian uh, anarchism that didn't even need to be called <laughs> it, 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 it all of our ancestors lived peacefully and harmoniously relatively speaking without war without organized violence without toxic chemicals without a mass scale of any kind of control or administration or corruption. And it was nomadic hunting and gathering bands of people, 30, 30 to 50 people approximately, and that were very flexible and they could sort of diffuse and split off and form new groups. There was enough nature to provide that 
Edenic, forageable. I mean, it's all a matter of proportion. So if your population is small, then all of the gifts of nature become very proportionally uh, diverse and very abundant. If you start to grow your population exponentially and you outstrip that wild productive capacity and you force nature to become enslaved to agriculture, then you get into this perverse spiral of controlling animals, controlling plants, ex expanding the population, and then having to engage in constant warfare to uh, expand and to maintain the empires. So that's really the, the, a very simple and crude overview. And all, obviously, the literature from the academic literature and the anarchist sort of um, marginal kind of um, outside of academia, that, that discourse of anarchism and, well, green anarchism, primitivism, anti-civ, those are different, but uh, sometimes synonymous and definitely correlated forms of thought. But the amount of research has been done it's, it's anthropology 101. That's what you get exposed to in, in the first classes in anthropology. You will be exposed to a revised and, uh, and, and updated and, and evolved understanding that really people before industrialization and before agriculture wild peoples the way I would put it and foraging bands is how you call them in anthropology they worked less they had better teeth they had better health sometimes they lived longer it's all um, there are some subjective dimensions you know they didn't have they didn't have computers, but I would say they're probably far happier without them and they didn't need them and they enjoyed their dream time and they were able to explore the, um, the organic matrix with psychedelics and with shamanism and with um, tracking the cosmos at night and having no <laughs> light pollution. I mean, I could go on forever and I have written quite a bit and back in my day, in my college days, I was one of those um, very feisty, <laughs> very outspoken green anarchists who would write and speak at length about my studies and my passion. And um, and we came up the so getting to this to this topic of medical anarchism, which has I'm, has, I'm not saying has anything to do with the politics of, uh, of the Altons. In fact, I think we're probably, we might agree on some things, but we probably disagree on a lot of things. But the reason that I'm, the reason that I feel uh, compelled to do this now is that I just, after I had, I had accelerated my binging of that podcast of theirs back in 2020, and I basically loaded up however many, I think at least a at least over a couple hundred episodes, if I remember correctly, but it was a lot. And I loaded them up one at a time, basically emailed the, the link to every single show to myself so I'd have this queue of, um, of their shows loaded up. And then 
I bent, there were times where I would binge a lot and then I would get swamped by other things coming in. And, um, there's just been a sort of a back, a backlog a bit. And I just found, just finally now got caught up with everything. So where I can say I have been exposed to every episode that they've produced, which means <laughs> there's, there's just that many, that many more things that I have no excuse to be totally helpless about medically even though I, I know that I am and of course the more you get exposed to technical information the more you realize how how incompetent you are and how much training you need and how much drilling you need to retain any of it it's just mortifying but that's that's what I like to do I like to I like to flood my consciousness and get a primer and get a little bit of a priming on technical material and then backfill as much as I can over time. But of course, as I am, <laughs> every moment of, of steeping myself in their voices, it just makes me shake my head in shame at myself, at my anarchist comrades and all of the careless, mindless, intellectual masturbation that that my entire life has been as a <laughs> in this cognitive dissonance of wanting to live in anarchy and not really being competent and not carrying an individual first aid kit on my belt since I declared war against every government on earth as as an anarchist you know and and to boot i'm going to be a primitivist so i'm not even gonna you know i'm, I'm supposed to not even have a, a first aid kit that has anything other than like stones and sticks and, and herbs <laughs> so it's just sad and funny to be able to look back at how really it's taken me a long time for for the rhetoric to to have a even a fraction of a of a of a ratio of actual practicality because um, this is not theoretical if you want to be your own bank with crypto or you want to be your own your own tribal council with your collective you want to be your own criminal justice system with your <laughs> with your brute squad in your little tribe off grid or something your mad max fantasy you can do all of that and i've done all of that kind of stuff but there was always and i see it now more than ever always this cognitive dissonance about oh okay time out we failed in our little experiment let's go to the hospital and have someone else clean up the mess of our drunken parties where people get stabbed at punk shows. I mean, it was uh, it was bad news, real bad news, and uh, and I'm ashamed and embarrassed by most of it. And I'll and for for the most part, there's a lot of things I will never do again. It's not just because I'm older and wiser, a little older, a little wiser, but uh, because I have so much more respect now for first responders doctors and nurses like the ones who I'm starting to learn from to where I just gotta I gotta feel for them I gotta think about if people put people puts put them offload so much shadow burden onto these 
real saintly angelic figures, these people who are so devoted to other people's health and well-being and have to endure and experience the flippancy and the negligence and the the incompetence of this culture that completely when I say this culture it's just people who whoever's not medically prepared and trained to be their own first responder and therefore have uh, some humility about how fragile the human body is and want to actually safeguard it as much as possible it's just the sort of um well call it just a 911 paradigm you know what i mean which this is not medical advice this is not legal advice i'm not saying take the law into your own hands i'm not saying take your take your medical first response into your own hands and that's what their disclaimer is too on their podcast every time it's like if you have modern medical uh, amenities available, you're obliged to seek them out immediately and don't, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but basically the, the admonition is that if you fuck around and, and, and you can, dep- I mean, I'm really paraphrasing, I'll take this into my own words 100%, but I'll say basically they have their disclaimers about how When modern medicine is is available by any stretch, you are obliged to seek it out earnestly, and there there will be there will be there will be medical and legal consequences and civil suit type consequences if you fail fail to maximize whatever potential you have to directly access and directly call upon professional modern medical um, support for any situation that arises that is uh, an emergency a medical emergency that again I'm, I'm i'm really paraphrasing that you can listen to their disclaimer um but but that's my understanding of it that's what i take away from it and that's what i <laughs> that's why i think now back on like um and all of the rhetoric of of anarchism and the flippancy towards the state and the flippancy towards, um, well, just the whole DIY movement, you know, it's very much, it's very flippant towards, um, towards any authority and any rules. And unfortunately, Hey, you know, it happens a lot, you know, punk show happens and there's some injury in the mosh pit. If you think everybody's just like signed a waiver that says that, uh, that we've let it all go because we're practicing medical anarchy and anything goes? No. 90% of the people there are minors and 10% of those minors' parents are rich and they're going to sue the pants off the venue. They're going to sue the pants off the organizer and that is the world we live in. And that is not the, uh, the, 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 the right time and place to practice medical anarchism as a as a utopian philosophy and um yeah a lot of people have uh learned that the hard way and luckily in my life i have been blessed not to have been in a situation to date where i have been held where, where i've felt uh ethically morally responsible for a medical emergency coming to anyone else 
and and that is a blessing that I may, that I will do my best to uphold. And uh, yeah, to my knowledge, there's never been uh, an incident where. Yeah, I mean, a couple fender benders, maybe one fender bender, and nothing came of that. So I mean, yeah, it's been it's been a very blessed. I haven't even broken any of my own bones yet. I have been very, you know, I've skateboarded, moshed, gone to the hospital, been in car accidents. You know, this is for me. Um, I have had very hard. Yeah, I've been hospitalized for infections, been on IVs, and I'm not going to go through the life story, but but I I have been medically humbled in a in a number of ways and I've seen very um yeah, very horrific acts of violence. I have survived pretty brutal acts of violence myself and um Yeah, I mean I've Short of having someone die in my arms, I feel like I've ex- I've witnessed quite a bit. Short of not being a combat medic or, or anything of that nature, you know, I've been in, I lived on the street. I've had lots of friends die of over, of overdose, bandmates, friends, suicide, overdose, all kinds of heinous shit, um, and. <laughs> And what happens at the end of the day? A lack of self-respect, a lack of of pride in medical preparedness leads to people doing stupid things with stupid people uh, and st- in stupid places, if I have that if the order right. Um, and that gets them in trouble and they end up in the fucking ambulance and they end up in the hospital. And um, I really find it um, immature and there's a lot of things that I, I plan on doing differently. One of the things I've learned that I respect a lot about the, the side trance culture and in general the sort of um, transformational so-called festival culture was that built in is the idea that you have a medical tent and you have people who are your peers who are like the first responders with their real day jobs in real life, but they come out to the party and they might sacrifice a little bit of fun or take shifts, you know, rotate. But there was something so cool to me about seeing them all kitted up with medical gear, knowing that they could take command over a situation, save lives, and they weren't this... It wasn't like they were some someone in a uniform that you would... Um, you would spit on because you're you're so anarcho or whatever you know there's a a, a beautiful so and they also weren't just there like being narcs you know <laughs> that's probably the best part too because you could have like public safety people or whatever you know roaming around a festival and maybe they got their first aid kits but if you see them on their radio the whole time just fucking narking on people that's not very you know that doesn't really warm too much up to my to my black flag heart either but yeah, the 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 side trans community has been a real redemptive evolution for me because a lot of the health consciousness and a lot of the responsibility and maturity that I felt was lacking, obviously, in the juvenile nature of punk rock, uh, is really exemplified. And I really did. I always was pushing the the punk culture to to mature and to evolve into something that would be far more 
sustainable and far more mature and healthy where all these things would be built in the to be competent in growing our own food and managing our own waste and providing our own medical care and becoming really self-sufficient um, autonomous communities that were able to whether in urban rural or or um, suburban settings be able to live in our own sort of secession of a of a subculture where we interacted the way that we wanted to and we interacted with with 911 is 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 as little as possible but you know i have beautiful comrades in those experiences i know a lot of herbalists i know a lot of people who would make herbal first aid kits and teach workshops and grow food and do permaculture and some of the most beautiful and epic diy anarcho punks to me they really live the dream and um and i i look up to a lot of them and i've only really you know i'm not just trying to be modest but i really feel like the people that i know who really live that dream who they came from the pit they came from the gutter they came from the streets but they really built something they bought land they've been doing it diy building communities off grid and 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 being their own first response in fact being in the volunteer fire department and stuff like that like really grown up from out of that scene and they you know they really um i look up to them and and i think that um i i always have a lot to learn from them and i'm and i'm not i'm not as wise and mature and 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 squared away as as they've become um but that's part of what this is about going back to this notion of um getting really that was a lot of backfilling on on just sort of the uh putting in context what what medical anarchism the sort of shadow of its the problem that it would be hoping to solve um which isn't just about nebulous theories of what happens after after the proletarian revolution and whether you're coming from a marxist whatever i mean all of that rhetoric it's it's um this is very practical this is very fundamental and the way that i really was attracted to military informed survivalism coming out of the street punk movement was like oh yeah i know you know i can do the urban survival you know street rat macgyver sort of thing i've done that since i ran away when i was 12 i've been resourceful and i've been able to do all kinds of escape and evasion and uh just being resourceful and all that kind of urban stuff but but i always knew that it was kind of um just juvenile because what you really would rather be doing is actually having enough personal finances to be more like more like a an ex-military survivalist who would have their shit together and be very tactically have a lot of tactical wherewithal and have a lot of kit and have a lot of um training and experience and and the the material the the skills and the and the material um equipment and gear and kit etc to be able to actually be hard to kill and be very survivable so you know 
I spent a number of years really backfilling on studying studying all of that material which I had obviously been lacking where in the punk scene yeah you wear your combat boots and you wear your fatigues and and there were a lot of in the early days of punk there were a lot of like military dropouts who would sing songs about being military dropouts and they would bring the fashion and even bring some of the the discipline sometimes into the into the scene but it would just all get washed away in the booze you know so it, you know if you were somebody who really did want to want to get squared away as i did since childhood and it was like i came to the anarcho punk movement to 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 lace up my boots and wear my fatigues and get and get marching but um you know it was it was just uh a swamp of of alcoholism and drugs and nothing really ever got done a, a lot of time and then the people who did more of that as i was saying before the more sophisticated diy stuff they kind of leaned towards the pacifist hippie mentality and even the ones that would do more hunting and more primitive skills uh with weapons and what not they still were they were not not some of them but not enough of them were actually training like dare I say a form of a a militia um that was uh i mean i don't know i don't know why the media i guess it would be the media that created a distort a distorted view of that word but um being a, being in a militia is supposed to be like the most patriotic thing you can do outside of actually being in the military that if you're a patriot who is not an enlisted service person then you are a de facto militia person and you should be training within your local community so that you're able to defend your local community in the event of an invasion a foreign invasion or a civil war um i'm really not going to go into all those politics now but i will say that uh you know call me a patriot call me someone who feels like abdicating the responsibility for for physical security pushing that out outsourcing that to other people never felt right to me i always wanted to be squared away and i've thought about it more and more in my recent years where i'm like you know what i think the simplest way i can describe myself is that ever since i saw the movie predator i've wanted to be able to be dropped in to that storyline on that film set and 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 basically take over any other parts except for <laughs> except for the ones that were the meatiest of the of the guys you know but it was great about what they showed in that team of operators was that i think one guy had glasses two of them were were like not muscle bound you know so it's it's to me i got that impression like no you don't have to be in fact I, from behind the scenes they say that that arnold actually couldn't shoot many scenes for very long because he would get exhausted just from his own weight um so there is you know uh 
but blessings to him his role in shaping my my very um sci-fi anti-establishment um rebellious nature uh but but I do want to say that my commitment to myself is that I want to be able to I want to be able to be dropped into that mission <laughs> that you see in the film Predator and I want to be able to do everything that they did like I want to have that physical fitness that prowess that that sense of being really like um like an apex predator themselves you know not no pun intended with the title but you see the way that that elite group of operators carried themselves and what they were able to do with their bodies their minds nonverbal communication and just move through the environment that was such a mystique for me and a lot of people say they got into a lot of people who are elite operators now they say that the film that 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 got them really most excited was was navy seals and i watched that and i i loved all the characters from other films but that one just did not grip me that much maybe it was the timing of it but for me it was always predator <laughs> maybe it's the soundtrack maybe there's a lot of factors to it but um but i think that is uh you know that's what like i wanted to join i i looked at anarcho punks and i said oh that's my that's my team that's th- these are the people i want to be um operating with and sometimes you know we we it did feel like that um sometimes we we would push each other to be very skilled in in the wild and be very uh have a lot of prowess for me it was living out in the the forest uh the the Teresa eco villages and that was pretty much <laughs> that was pretty much it instead of fighting um an alien um an alien headhunter we were fighting the forest service and the uh and the corrupt corporations who were who were attacking shooting at us and 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 attacking the trees with chainsaws so i mean there you have it you know i guess it it all it all adds up um but we were you know skilled with um with climbing equipment living in the upper canopies of the old growth forest we were living off the land harvesting wild mushrooms um food would have to be brought in but i mean that was as close to the mystique of that of of wanting to step into that role as i could as i could as i could want to be but even then at that time if we would have had if we would if there would have been a medical emergency out there i would have been totally clueless and that's why i keep saying i go back on all of the different moments in my life to where we were so winging it we were so living on a prayer because I would have not known how at all to administer first aid or to address a lot of the acronyms that I have started to learn uh when it comes to first response and um I'm nowhere near where I need to be and where I want to be but I just take this moment to say yeah there's a lot of glamorized sort of mystique about being a warrior being a badass being a military survivalist or whatever or 
or at least being able to say, yeah, I trained with a bunch of ex-military survivalists in the forest, which, which I did, but we didn't do a lot of tourniquet application. We didn't do a lot of um, field dressing of wounds and tying triangle bandages and practicing CPR. And we should have been doing that a lot more because the amount of times you're going to have to fix up a boo-boo versus the amount of times you're going to be in a gunfight or even a fist fight or whatever, it's, it's absurd how much sexiness is um is uh disproportionately uh directed at what do they say um yeah i mean harm being able to hurt versus heal people in 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 this sort of uh whatever your mystique is of being some sort of um on screen or some sort of video game kind of um or comic book <laughs> badass you know these archetypes that are totally distorted and it's like yeah for every pound of muscle why don't you have a pound of <laughs> herbal first aid and like gauze and rubbing alcohol you know that kind of stuff so so reeling this back in towards what a sort of primer would be going back to the, the idea of what I'm what I've done a lot, which is sort of synthesize ideas and try to create a sort of an, an, an anarchist framework to explore various topics. So with all of that sort of embarrassing, self-deprecating, humiliating uh, shadow work out of the way, but putting a lot of context, now I would say from a place of still humble, and still barely forming any confidence or any competency, I'm going to dare say that um, I would love for more medical anarchism discourse to take place and for there to be doctors, nurses, first responders, which, again, I know I've, in, I've, I've interviewed anarcho-punk um, uh, first responders before and I know people within the movement who who sort of live in both worlds like they can put on a uniform and they can salute the um, the system and do their day job and have a totally pure black anarchist heart underneath underneath that uniform underneath that chain of command and actually know like one thing I think was great about what Starhawk said is basically um you know, there's a place for consensus decision-making where everybody gets their voice heard and it takes as long as it needs to take and there's no hierarchy and there's no authority. But you don't want the fire department to come to your house and sit in your lawn and circle up and do a five-hour consensus meeting to decide how they're going to put your house fire out. You want there to be a chain of command in certain places. So, so yeah, I say this with all due respect and humility towards the the anar the medical anarchists who are already um, synthesizing that that uh, all of their knowledge and all of their philosophy and all of their idealism and they're living that path and um, you know I've had great conversations I don't know if Jake Mitchell who I've interviewed before from the uh, um, 
Flight of Thoughts podcast. We did a series of interviews back in the day, and uh, I have so much respect for him. Um, I don't. I doubt necessarily that he would uh, brand himself an anarchist. I don't think there's a lot of value in using that term anyway anymore. Um, but, um, but to me, that's my roots, so I'm going to stay with it. And uh, autonomist is a nice way of saying it as well, a little more proactive. But yeah, just a lot of honoring and hats off and respect to the people who I know are way more qualified to actually give medical advice on these topics. For me, this is just an exploration, not legal advice, not medical advice, but also kind of um, at this point, just want to lay out some some principles that have come to my mind and talk about how for me the practicality is I am living in this non-theoretical very visceral very practical state of of medical anarchism and so from that perspective you know there is uh uh 911 for me is almost a non-option so more so almost well yeah as now as as much um almost as much as it was being deep in the old growth forest where there there was no first response i mean there was um maybe you would get maybe there could be a life flight but we didn't even have a way to communicate there weren't we didn't have satellite phones i think there were maybe a couple satellite phones or something of the sort uh back that was 20 years ago but uh, point is you know deep wilderness immersion i'm not as deep as i was then but but i'm far enough away i'm outside of the golden hour you know um for me to fuck up and create a medical emergency for myself or anyone else is going to be not a convenient um financial uh, or logistic problem to solve so therefore in terms of measuring the distance and the time from the accessibility of of any external for, first responders for all intents and purposes you know i have to ask myself what is the point where i would i do have i do have connection if i didn't have cell connection then i would at this point in my evolution i would have a satellite phone and i would make sure i had one of those gps beacons you know where basically if really you know you're getting half eaten by a bear at least you can (laughs) send a smoke signal out through gps where they're going to know you know where to find the body but but yeah i'm 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 here in this um in this lifestyle uh deeper into it than i have been in, in 20 years and um so that's the perspective i'm coming at this from and I'm also looking at, so give a little bit of structure to this. I would say it's axiomatic for most anarchists that they are not going to, they're going to do everything in their power to not rely on 911 mainly not rely on the criminal justice system the police department to get involved in their interpersonal conflicts whether that's domestic violence or feuding 
violence, gang violence, um, whatever it is, uh, the code of the anarchist, the way that I have always experienced it within the communities and the circles I've ran in, whether that be from the street where everybody was intrinsically a criminal because everyone was basically a drug addict or a runaway. And like last thing you want to do is get is get a, a dime dropped on you and you don't, it's just the code. You just don't, you do not voluntarily invite the state into your affairs no matter what. <laughs> They'll be there quick enough if it's like the street life, you know. Um, and then it rips apart the fabric of that street subculture when they show up. So it's more about about elaborate codes to keep people informed of when they're on the prowl and to make sure everyone scatters at the right time. Even your fucking worst enemies, you know, there were just public service announcements. You know, people would give each other the signals to clear the park, you know. Um, but that, yeah, that was a very obvious street level, but then more, I guess you could call it house punks, but as I, as I, as I got into more sophisticated collectives and whatnot, and people were doing more, more dedicated activism, there was what we call security culture, and there was an even more, um, even more reason, it's not just petty crime or being busted on the street with a bag of something, it was like, if you were known to be somebody who would ever confer with law enforcement, then then you were blackjacketed, you would be considered an infiltrator, and you would be you would be sometimes violently ousted from the scene, and and um, so there were consequences. Um, and so what what that meant was obviously there was a lot of um, a lot of um, street justice, a lot of. Uh, a lot of very broken um, attempts to adjudicate sexual assault issues in communities and whatnot, and um, sometimes I would, I, sometimes we would do our best, and sometimes even our best efforts wouldn't wouldn't really. Um, well, we it would leave a lot to be desired, but I think pretty much always we knew that getting the state involved would only make it worse for the most part in most situations and um that's the code i mean that's the level of responsibility that you take and the people who who wave the black flag you're you're waving <laughs> not just the flag you're at least in your own little bubble world in your own bubble mind you're you're attempting to wave your um sort of uh your privilege to rely upon the 911 system to solve your problems and um, come to your rescue. And uh doesn't mean that you get to secede and live separately. You're still affected by it. They still have jurisdiction over you. But you can choose to not press charges. You can choose to not drop dimes on people. And you can choose to solve your problems um, as you see fit. And until someone else drops the dime and gets the state involved, there's actually quite a bit of um, space to operate within. And um, so from that paradigm of like practical anarchism, non-reliance, non-integration of law enforcement and criminal justice, 
Um, that was the given, you know. <laughs> it was actually the whole mystique was that you were anti-cop and anti-establishment and whatnot. But when it comes to, I mean, we didn't have an anarcho-punk fire department in the city. I was pleased to see that there were anarcho-punks who were volunteer fire- firefighters out in the sticks, out in the bush. That was great to see eventually. But, but again, we weren't talking about, we were talking about how to solve our own um, issues with um, basically be our own our own community policing um, authority where we respect the autonomy of individuals and we attempt to to not behave in an authoritarian manner and we obviously uh, uh, use non-aggression principles and don't don't arbitrarily just go straight to using force to resolve um, conflicts uh, in our communities. And then we believe that the, the, the police are often like a, a problem looking for a solution, a hammer that only sees nails, you know, and we, we got to be hammered a lot of times, you know, we have a lot of scars to, to prove it. And so, um, but we, but again, there was not a lot of sitting down to, to say, what is our posture about the other dimension of 911, which is medical emergencies and, and, and first response and long-term care and treating people with, um, who are going through aging and illness from later in the life cycle. We just didn't think that far ahead because we were in our prime. We wanted to go out there and riot and, and fuck shit up and smashy smashy and all that fun stuff. <laughs> And a very small fraction of people who I remember hanging out with were actually talking about or planning for or building infrastructure for the long-term care of people in the community as they age. It's like, oh, well, well, once you're once you're too old to riot, then fuck, like, who needs you anyway? It's like, we, there wasn't much, it was a very youth-centric scene where I was coming from, and that, and that, I don't see, I don't know if, I doubt that's the rest of the world. I've been to Mexico where it's very intergenerational and very holistic, way more than what I had seen in America, but I've been in bands touring the country for many, many years, and, uh, and I've seen some very, very honorable and sophisticated communities that have it all squared away. And but mo- for, but they're few and far between. Just a lot of real, um, uh, a lot of people who are just stuck in this us versus the cops form of of mentality of anarchism, and us, you know, not really seeing past that that struggle. Um, and not building a lot of resilience and a lot of uh, self-sufficiency and self-reliance when it comes to first response, you know? Like, even if it was all about bikes, you know? There was a huge bike culture. Like, <laughs> I didn't see anybody roll up to a punk show with, like, a a bike cart that was kitted up to be a bike ambulance to take you on bike to the community uh, clinic 
where we would have a decentralized, autonomous, um, non-hierarchical, anti-authoritarian, no big pharma, you know, totally purist kind of like uh, DIY uh, medical treatment facility, you know, that that's the kind of stuff that uh, looking back now, I go, man, if I knew then what I know now, I would have been really, really attempting to build in that kind of infrastructure. And um, it's not my place to go back and retrofit it or try to <laughs> try to like um, bring a bunch of handout first aid kits in the mosh pit or something like that, like do some kind of punk rock harm reduction. What I will say is that um, the ethics of that movement, when it comes to being critical of the establishment, obviously there's a lot of things in the medical establishment to be critical of. So whereas, you know, um, whereas a lot of times the, the position of being an anarchist is a very sort of laughable and weak position parents laugh at their kids teachers laugh laugh at their students you know because i remember being being ridiculed because oh you're such an idealist but what do you what do you have to prove nobody wants to live like you no one wants to eat out of dumpsters no one wants to sit in meetings all day they like the chain of the command they like following the leader they like the popularity contest of the mainstream they like going to work they like their car. They like their investment portfolio. You got nothing to offer them, and uh, and you can't even organize anything successfully that lasts more than a few months before before you implode. Your your venue, your utopian venue, just collapses under its own debauchery. <laughs> you know. Uh, again, I, I I say that to be as like self-deprecating as is as, as, as necessary um again and again because i realize like how how um frail and how just how how ineffectual of a foundation the movements i've come from really are to to, to say we're going to replace the medical establishment with our the, the 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 first aid kits that we built because we scavenged them out from a dumpster from a hospital that was filled with medical waste and we you know that was like the level of the the way that food not bombs would be so flippant about the health department and then people would just have outbreaks of fucking food poisoning and who do you <laughs> yeah there 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 it goes again that's like the shadow of of medical anarchy is like when you don't respect the rigor that goes into standardizing food safety, the rigor that goes into standardizing the fire codes, the the rigor that goes into standardizing um, venue capacity and all sorts of other public safety physics that 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 are designed for a reason um and you just want to break the rules just to be bad just to be a rebel that that doesn't um that doesn't hold up 
And now I'm at a place where I do want to have an ideal where you can be your own medic, you can be your own clinic, you can be your own doctor, be your own nurse, and, and extend that out to you and your loved ones, provide that that infrastructure and that knowledge and that collectivized training with some delegation to people in a meritocracy, that's what I really have derived most from what I learned from the um, survival medicine hour and um, is like the need for every family, every community, every organization to have people who really step up and make it their hobby and prioritize getting squared away with having all having an abundance of medical supplies and having put in the hours of knowing how to apply them and having troubleshooting and diagnostic skills. I mean, you don't want to be referencing a manual. Um, there's going to be a lot of manual referencing as the skill development um, grows in, in a community or in a family, etc., but, but ultimately, in, in a crisis, you would want to have done more cold, simulated trainings to get in the muscle memory and to know where to go for that bit of technical minutia to make the difference, to make a distinction between what treatment to apply. If it and, and it could be life or death, it could be very acute. And so more and more and more I realize just how much murder we have all gotten away with to not have just the to, to just be living on a prayer and not having to I've never had to administer the Heimlich maneuver on someone choking but there's no reason why that couldn't have happened any of the millions of times I've been in a situation where that was totally likely you know uh I haven't had to apply a tourniquet, although I've been in situations where people were bleeding out and people had to call 911. And I would have just been like, oh, gross, like, let's get out of the way and let them do what they got to do. And for in, in a lot of circumstances, you would not, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, that's why I say not legal advice, there's a lot of um, trickiness when it comes to Good Samaritan laws and whatnot. But I would just like to say, you know, yeah, there's there's been close calls for sure. And I've had to administer first aid on myself and others, um, myself obviously more than anyone else. But, um, yeah, it's, it, it's humbling. And I realize there, there really is no um, honorable justification for any other hobby other than religious medical preparedness and training if you were going to dare to threaten to be independent from the system to be to be autonomous from the system and to be um to be able to solve your own medical problems that was just sort of like again this cognitive dissonance thing this total disconnect over all these years and now what has the COVID-19 pandemic creating a situation where the 12-hour sometimes plus ambulance um, 
wait times to get into an emergency room, the the ICU beds being filled, the congestion of the hospitals, then that automatically for everybody creates a sort of artificial grid down situation, an artificial post-apocalyptic medical scenario. And um, whatever your opinion is about the lethality of COVID, I am of the mind that if you, if you didn't like hospitals before COVID, you should like, you should, or if you were afraid of them and didn't like them, you should have, you should feel more afraid of them and like them less because it's a compounding disaster. No matter what conspiracy theory, the fucking reality is, I don't care what, where you think the virus came from, whether you think it's a virus or not, whether you think the vaccines are this or that, the reality is, if you cut yourself slicing vegetables and you need to go to the ER if you don't know how to administer your own first aid you may not get that ambulance there and depending on how deep that cut is yeah it could lead to an infection or you could fucking bleed out and die depending on the severity of it you could be infected or bleed out and die from a dog bite from from any form of a collision a bike accident anything Anything that you would have never thought twice about, totally taken for granted, happy-go-lucky, carefree, medically dependent, medically servile, medically um, uh, exploitable by the entire system because you're just an accident waiting to happen. You're a fucking disaster waiting to happen. And, And... you know, that's why you pay whatever you pay for or the government and the taxpayer pays whatever they pay for so that you can live in a bubble world where you have no, where you've abdicated your physical security to the police and the military and you've abdicated your medical security to that establishment, which, you know, then then I can get into that position of what is the critique? How does an how would an anarchist start to enumerate the critiques of the medical establishment um, admitting full well that I am not in a position to replace all of it right now for myself and my own life nor replace it for anybody else so I'm not speaking from a position of of having transcended allopathic medicine or the entire medical establishment but as someone who is working to build in more um, self-medical, self-reliance, medical security every day, I would like to think that my um, the legitimacy of my critiques of the establishment are are emboldened, um, and so with a little bit of. Uh, of bravado, you know, I will say that, uh, yeah, I don't, I've heard the expression hospitals is where people go to die. And there are people who have this sort of folk sense that you should do anything in your power to avoid being hospitalized at all costs. That doesn't mean being negligent and being a bad member of your community, of your family. It means it wasn't always considered like just the convenient thing to do. <laughs> there were consequences. 
And now I think if you look at the financial consequences and you look at the um, the antibiotic-resistant evolution of microbes in hospitals on top of COVID and everything else, it's grim. It's extremely grim. And even if there was no corruption with big pharma and the pill mills and the doctors uh, revolving door big pharma and regulators and FD all that stuff all of the corruption that Gary Collins talks about um, even if everybody in the medical establishment on every level was completely honorable and and not and not corrupt at all it would still be a recipe for disaster in terms of the concentration of sick people over applying antibiotics creating a echo chamber a petri dish for this centralized experiment of of um accelerating the evolution at our own of, of microbes at our own peril and creating superbugs almost yeah as a um as a byproduct of the of the the clever convenience of logistically centralizing all of this medical infrastructure into these complexes whereas and again most of that most of that monstrosity of the hospital industrial complex is grows out of the negligence for a homestead scale medical preparedness paradigm where if you knew if you knew that most respiratory infections are caused by viruses and not bacteria you would not go to the hospital infecting everyone along the way with a viral disease that will not even be affected whatsoever by a course of antibiotics which would only be killing living microbes living bacteria which viruses are not even organisms they don't even have cells they have to infect living cells in order to propagate so that is one of many critiques that i'm not gonna i guess i will just try to try to off the top of my head just just think of a few things right a few of the i mean this is not an exhaustive list but just thinking about um how that, yeah, again, that's without any corruption. That's just like not even, that's that's just assuming everybody is completely ha- having the best intent. And their intent is just to, well, won't, wouldn't it be a good idea to stack everybody on top of each other and to just make it so all of the medical um, supplies and all of the treatments and all of the doctors and expertise and even the research, everything is basically centralized just for logistical efficiency. That makes a lot of sense. And maybe someday we will look back and say that was a huge mistake and that led to the most devastating 
paradigm that brought humanity through another evolutionary bottleneck because of massive infections of um, superbugs that bring us literally to the brink of extinction. That sci-fi scenario is not that far away. And, um, and, and it could have all been solved by people actually being trained in standard curricula to be very, very, um, as much as possible, independent and very skilled and trained in, in, in all of the, um, the basic first aid material. Of course, that should be a given. But beyond that, health, diet, exercise, fitness, herbalism, growing food, nutrition. I mean, that is where the corruption is undeniable more more than anywhere else. I mean, um, believe it or not, there was a fight at one point to attempt to prevent junk food corporations from marketing to children. And that, lo- that fight was lost. And um, I'm not an expert in, in all of that history, but I just think about that. I think about how... how fucking doomed most people are in in the junk food standard american diet um you don't pay the farmer so you end up paying the doctor sort of paradigm and uh yeah there's a lot of across the political spectrum of ideologies everyone has their way of um of digging into to this health crisis, the, just the general public health crisis of obesity, of um, cancer and heart disease and everything else that is uh, the lifestyle diseases of civilization, you know. Um, everyone's got their hot take on it. Well, what, what really, for me... If you're not an anarchist, then 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 you you would everybody who's not an anarchist has a has a political agenda. That what if if it whatever agenda they might have about about curing this problem these problems, making America healthier, less diseased, less. Mor- morbid <laughs> yeah um, less morbidity in the population uh, the majority of the agendas that exist to address these issues which are undeniable I think even across the political spectrum they're all political meaning regulation public policy um, throwing tax money at things and whatnot and um if if from an anarchist perspective none of that is on the table from an anarchist perspective unless you were a reform you would call it a, a reformist or or sort sort of liberal anarchist which it's your prerogative <laughs> and you know i think nobody nobody's a purist and i am 
I'm a libertarian as much as I am a liberal, as much as I am um, even conservative on certain issues and whatnot. So there's no purism to my mind, but but from a but but it but it is helpful to say what what would be a perfectly purist, idealistic anarchist agenda regarding public health and reducing the amount of endemic disease and morbidity and and pressure on these centralized um, hospital industrial complex hosti- the hospital industrial complex what is the, what is a purely anarchist um, approach to that not relying on the state and its coercive measures whatsoever and of course that's why the the permaculture design system is so apt uh, because it is about taking responsibility for your survival and and the intrinsic to that that's not the only I mean um, it, it lends itself quite a bit but it's about being fully empowered and about taking the power back and You know, I said to myself as an anarchist years ago, I said, you know what, I think I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop shit-talking the state and shit-talking the system with energy to power my motor mouth that comes from the grocery store. And until I can grow some percentage, if not whatever percentage of my own calories that I can grow between me and the soil and the rain and the seeds, that percentage of my diet, I will feel very, um, very energetically, economically, ideologically correct to use that energy to power my shit-talking motor mouth against the state and the system. But until then, I'm basically biting the hand that feeds me. And that is only reconcilable to a very juvenile anarchist mindset. And I really began to realize, you know what, I think I'm just going to, I'm going to shut up and I'm going to get to work planting some shit. And that's around the time that I got really deeply exposed and involved with permaculture to where at that point, just like, like Bill Mollison said, you know, we're going to spend a very short amount of time in the design course talking about the problem because that's obvious. We're going to spend the majority of the time addressing the problem with solutions. And that's a, a very healthy perspective to take on it. So again, you know, to me, I don't want to fix the hospitals. I don't want to fix big pharma. I don't want to fix public policy. I don't want to fix the laws. I want to transcend all of that with empowerment that comes from the garden and whereas ideal idealistically we would have totally primitivistic first aid kits and totally primitivistic um, devices medical devices and equipment at this point the majority of it is electronic plastic unsustainable the standards of it being sterile require a lot of really like um, space age kind of divorce from nature kind of 
technology that really is um and, and I'm not going to give advice but I will say there's there's very natural ways to disinfect things that don't require I mean the um there there can be a a a, a biologically correct a, an ecologically correct way to have a non-sterile yet hygienic and um what's the word um there's nuance there's a lot of nuance and um and i am of the mind that we have made it a long time um without hospitals without modern medicine without modern pharmaceuticals and a lot of what that apparatus exists to do is create this sort of um, maintenance, perpetual motion machine of payola and disease. And like, again, I don't need to, I don't need to waste a lot of time in that and all the conspiracy theories about the, about the, that system it's been very well critiqued by people who aren't even who aren't even anarchists you know it's very it's very well critiqued by all spectrums of of the the, the of uh, partisan politics and whatnot so i don't even need to go there this is more about proactive solving the problem intrinsically with what you have the community that you have and when it comes to the fundamentals, the the real acute golden hour first response fundamentals, airway, breathing, circulation, really sizing up a mass casualty event, um, triage, most of what matters the most, the most critical interventions at the most critical acute times are things that can be trained and taught and administered very low tech, even very improvised without a lot of money, without a lot of, um, of, uh, of highly sort of, um, highly fabricated medical medical supplies like if you wanted to go totally guerrilla diy homegrown everything you could manufacture and that's something i will probably continue to do for myself is like okay now that i have like the bona fide survival kit par excellence how can i start to begin swapping out some of this more highly manufactured material with with more organic more down-to-earth types of um types of of solutions that are actually regenerative uh, that i don't need to buy again because i can grow this stuff you know i can grow these um antimicrobials i can grow the fibers that I would need, I can raise the honey that I would, I mean, there's so many things, and that's what's great, again, about, uh, about 
Doc Bones and Nurse Amy is that they grow food, they are into natural medicine, and usually about 50% from of, of each show or a good proportion of their entire um, of their entire archive and even a good percentage of every show actually goes into natural natural medicine and home remedies and stuff out of the garden so um, yeah there's just no excuse there's no excuse and I have um, I have been living on a prayer a false prayer for too long and now more than ever you know this is the time to <laughs> to catch up as fast as possible because for all intents and purposes wherever wherever your mind is at now with how you think the pandemic is over or not i think the pandemic the the age of modern pandemics has just just begun it's just warming up and climatologically yeah, it's just warming up, which means more pests, longer pest life cycles, broader pest geographies. And the things that have been taken for granted in a cooler climate paradigm with the food, the food supply chain, with the agricultural system, with pest management, with... zoonotic disease outbreaks we're we're in for a big surprise and <laughs> if you waited to the last minute to become your own hospital and your own clinic and your own doctor and your own nurse and your own first responder it's going to be extremely fucking painful and um and I've and I have been living through that sharp uh sharp learning curve and I will say that uh, you know the, the podcast that I did with um, Jake Mitchell we talk a lot about about what it makes sense to have as everyday carry for your own personal individual first aid kit and how you would how you would want to pack your backpack first aid kit what you would have in vehicles and whatnot. I mean just please make it a hobby at whatever 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 degree of acceleration you can stand to get booked up on this stuff and and get you know if i i have very little interaction with anybody these days and i feel like um knowing what i know now i don't want to go shoot the shit and hang out at the bar i don't want to go to a fucking conference and bullshit and party and party and bullshit the only thing that I want to do, whether with friends or lovers or colleagues or anyone, is just fucking go page by page through the Alton's books and go, can we do this in the dark? Can we do this in the freezing fucking cold? Can we do this in the fucking blazing heat? Can we do this while we're bleeding? Can we do this with one hand, with our non-dominant hand? That's all I fucking care about anymore. Because to me, the dignity and pride that comes from waving a black flag. Put that fucking red cross on that black flag. Because you're not going to make it very far in the revolution if you don't know this stuff. 
You're not going to survive to dance on the ruins if you're dying of dehydration from dysentery because of not knowing how to sanitize water and separate and sanitize and compost your own waste to compost human medical waste from a battlefield. Yeah, lots of um, <laughs> lots of punk album covers with a lot of black flag waving revolutionary glory and not a lot of anarchist revolution combat medics in in the background of those of those punk album covers but for me now because it has been if it was an appropriate level of integration over all these years then I would just have continued to grow and accelerate my knowledge and to become more sophisticated over time and just slowly, gradually build in all of that training. But no, it was totally marginalized. It was totally in the blind spot. And now I have to prioritize it more than ever and actually concentrate it more than ever. And now I do have that individual first aid kit on my belt, on my studded punk rock belt, I have a tourniquet hanging out. I have a tourniquet on my belt. I have my individual first aid kit, and I'm not going to list all of the uh, all of the the uh, the items in it. Some of them are very standard. Some of them are a little bit unique. And I will say that one thing that um, that I will say has been my saving grace. That really is the, for me, the ultimate synthesis of the permaculture lifestyle and the, um, and the medical anarchist lifestyle is that through my own experimentation, um, I have arrived at a standard practice of minor wound care which I'm going to share, not as medical advice, but if you ask me what do I do in the very often event um, that I get any breach of my skin anywhere at any time, there is zero tolerance for not being aware of any breach of my skin at any time, period. Because I now am so so uh, mortified and humbled by the risk of infection and anything that could compromise my skin and put me in the hospital is like checkmate, game over, you lost, the revolution is over because... Not only could I could the could the the cure be worse than the disease in terms of going into into care, basically surrendering yourself into that custody, where you in you're in their world, and they have their own laws governing what they have to do or not do, what they have to inject you with. You lose consciousness in their custody, you are going to get medically, pharmaceutically raped and financially raped. Well, that's what I say to myself. You do you. <laughs> I'm doing me, and I do not want to 
I, w- I, I want to take every precaution I can not to be in their custody where they get to fuckerize my financial future and do whatever they're legally mandated to do with chemical cocktail du jour that's etc all the conspiracy theories so yeah I don't need to rely on a conspiracy theory I just need to try to rely on myself and not end up in in that funnel and so so I will say my go-to strategy when I notice any rash any breach of the skin cuts scrapes punctures splinters a lot of it happens when you're doing the off-grid homesteading lifestyle and you're trying to get shit done and I've learned the hard way many times that this is why I'm anti-work this is why I'm anti-boss this is why I'm an anarchist that is true to the belief that we should not be forced to work under the clock period and that we should be working at a comfortable cautious slow mindful pace because every single fucking time you're tasking any degree above slow methodical careful mindful relaxed tasking that's when what would have been a close call becomes two fucking inches of impalement. It's always that factor in my experience in life. Every single fucking time, even today, I'm like, oh, you were wanting to do something slightly in a rush for whatever you know little reason, which there's not many of them. There's no excuse for any... There's no there, Now I live in a reality where there's no excuse to be in a, in a rush for anything because I don't work. I, I, <laughs> I'm in a state of, of ecological uh, freedom, abundance, financial abundance to where there's no excuse to rush anything and I should basically be doing Tai Chi speed of any movement that has any sharp objects sometimes you know i want to get in the groove and you know but then that's where you start getting nicked that's when things that would have just brushed past you it's a, it's just an amazing phenomenon that i that i have really had to experience and i've spent you know i'm not a bubble boy i've spent the i've spent <laughs> i've paid my dues in the working class doing permaculture landscaping professionally for crews and as my own and as my and being an independent um, designer and independent contractor i've spent a lot of lot of hours working with tools power tools digging trenches cutting things getting scraped being in deep in the bush i mean all kinds of fucking gnarly broken junk and just oh my god jackhammering concrete and fucking rebar everywhere like seriously everything 
from a war zone minus the, the, the boom and the bang, just dangerous. And then being on a clock and being on someone else's, the client is paying your boss, the boss is so they don't they want you at a fast pace the boss wants you to fast pace and even when i did my own gigs you know the client's still looking at you you don't and you know what i mean like they still want you to, unless they pay you by the job and then they don't care but even then they might want it to get done you don't they don't want you to take forever so anyway that is my that is the very quintessential anarchist critique of the class war and being like you know what I'm not expendable. It, 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 it could be devastating to my entire life if I get injured and I have no recourse and I'm working on some rich person's fucking backyard pruning their fucking roses and I get impaled by some fucking fucked up piece of irrigation that is was put in years ago and unmaintained, whatever, like, that's on me, you know what I mean? I'm fucked. And if I would have been going ever so slightly slower I would have either noticed it or it would have not it would have I would have bounced off it and it wouldn't have fucking impaled me so I'm just blessed that that I have not bled out on on one of those countless sites and projects that I've worked on as a class warrior being working class and doing all that stuff but now Given my situation now, given the state of the pandemic and the state of the economy and the state of politics, I am very risk averse. I'm very content doing my Tai Chi pace of homesteading where I do get splinters and I do get cuts and scrapes and then things will slice into me and I look at how close they were to a vein and go, I'm so fucking lucky that that just didn't go further. But, you know, that doesn't happen that often. Um, But it is, it's part of the lifestyle. So it was interesting when I did finally decide that yeah the bulkiness the weight the inconvenience of having this this first aid kit on my belt it's it's like um i can't not have that on me at all times and there was a close call just like yeah a a fucking full force with a shovel and and then it's slipping from the target of what I'm digging and that bouncing off a rock and going one inch from my foot and then realizing that was the time where I said, no, you can't, you know better. This is everyday carry first aid kit, not like, oh, it's over there. And then watching Rambo where the cop gets shot and he says, where's the first aid kit? And it's in the fucking car. And that's up at the top of the ravine that they just climbed down chasing Rambo, you know, and the dude's bleeding out. So you never know. You never know when, and you would least expect it, and you would think you were doing everything right. You got all your fucking equipment on. 
I wear eye protection outside all the time. Joe Alton says, you should be asking yourself, if I'm outside, why don't I have eye protection on? Something like that. It's not the best context, but he made a a good point about that. Just about, um, you know... Even even if you are doing everything right with personal protective equipment, doing work outdoors, you're still going to get jabbed and poked and scraped and whatnot. So again, I'm very try to be as mindful with prevention of of any kind of breach of my skin, but it but it does eventually happen. In extreme desert conditions, cracking of the skin, fucking heat rash. Luckily, no fungal infections because I'm, I'm, I'm paleo with no added sugar, so I have very little, if any, ever issues with any kind of fungal rashes. I used to have them, something awful, when I was a carb addict and a sugar, sugar uh, addict. I would be fucking dead by now if I hadn't eliminated that. <laughs> carbon sugar addiction the only way i have any skin left in this climate is because i fucking don't eat that shit and i eat a little bit of proportionally a little bit of dried fruit and every other fucking every other type of sugar that i could possibly fucking have i will i will turn it into alcohol and consume it that way um which changes some of the the dynamics but even that is very much in moderation so anyway this is a whole other kind of skincare. I don't care about fucking wrinkles. I care about breaches. And so what I have discovered, and I will wrap up with this as it's getting a little bit a little bit long in duration here. If there was one fucking thing that I would that I would encourage, I mean I have a lot of experience with a lot of different remedies and whatnot, but fire cider is something to explore some people love it some people hate it it was actually so this is actually a bit of foreshadowing it was my romance with fire cider which you can look up i won't go into it now but basically it's a a very um a very spicy home remedy for respiratory congestion or infections respiratory issues um colds whatnot look it up apply as needed but it's an acquired taste and i i got to love it to where i would make it into just a hot sauce mix i would just have it i would make myself very very uh very used to it and just almost as a form of maintenance um of a form of prevent prevention as much as treatment so i'm a i have myself become a very big fan of fire cider um and you can dilute it to taste and whatnot but uh but what i realized as a touring musician that stuff would stink really bad everybody would hate me even though they would use it and they would ask me to make it for them but i but i realized i really need to make a powdered version of the fire cider so i went and i got the dried herbs and i made myself a a powdered fire cider mix which um 
you can just add you just add water to it and you could heat it up and make make a tea out of it basically and so that would be an option and then then after a, a, an ill-fated um stormy rainy bike accident luckily i was wearing a helmet and that helmet did fucking save my life but i got completely chewed up on my uh my forearm and was just um you know, I wasn't bleeding out, but I was, it was like a cheese grater across my entire, uh, my entire forearm on my right, my right arm. And, um, from, uh, it was, it was, it was going too fast and, and going over wet railroad tracks, wet, wet train tracks. And for some weird fucking reason of physics that I don't know if I knew better or not at that time, it just completely clotheslined the traction of the wheels and I just went straight down <laughs> it was it was fucked up you, if you've had the experience you probably know what I'm talking about but I have I learned my lesson but it was at that point when I had the powdered fire cider when I said well fuck this this cayenne this turmeric this uh you know I, I had um made a mix yeah it was powdered garlic at that point, it was garlic, turmeric, and uh, and cayenne pepper. So very hot, very spicy. And I said, fuck it. I'm going to endure the sting of the pungent garlic and cayenne. But I know that they are disinfectant. And I better do something about this because I can't fucking put a bandage on it. And at that time, I didn't have the standard medical uh, kit to be able to disinfect it and to uh with some with some kind of um fluid liquid and then wrap it in gauze so i just said fuck it and this was just very diy ghetto fucking macgyver street punk mentality and i just took that fire powder i called it fire powder and i just caked it on and it stung for a while and then it tapered off and i realized like holy shit this is basically like a powdered scab and it's going to neutralize the potential for infection and it's just going to flake off as natural scabbing occurs so i do not recommend that because i have evolved and stripped away the unnecessary garlic and cayenne ingredients in that mix and so i have just a pure dedicated supply of ground turmeric which there are places where it can sting and i would not apply it near the eyes um there may be some other places where it may not be quite so so comfortable but in terms of any of the thicker skin areas where i have been where i had been applying that that very spicy mix for a long time and having it basically be powdered skin is what i would call it just powdered turmeric for me has been my go-to saving grace for any breach of my skin anywhere any fucking rash it has been clearing up rashes it has been preventing infections and unless it's a deep puncture wound where you might have to and i'm not well where i might if i get a deep puncture wound i'm going to have to look into shall we say um the most intelligent 
antibiotic uh, strategy that's available to me, and I will leave it at that. Um, but anything more, sh- anything less deep, anything more shallow than a deep puncture wound that's going to jam in whatever my pathogens are on my skin and whatever was on the object if it's if it's if it's a shallower breach of the skin so far so good with me having in my first aid kit with ample backup supply you know I have I'll, 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 what I do what I, what I will do with the with the with the typical cut or scrape or rash at this point is um, with an eyedropper of rubbing alcohol and with a, 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 a cutting of gauze, just wipe and clean the area because I tend to be covered in dust and dirt and, and grime in this homesteading experiment. But once that initial cleaning is done with that and, and I haven't I haven't needed to irrigate wounds, but I have the means to do that, and it's important to. I'm not going to go into all the advisement stuff, but for myself, simple stuff, something I got on my on my belt at all times. It's just like okay, oh, there, oops, there it is again, a little something, and rather than just let it get filled with sweat and dirt and then be fucking rolling on it at night and having it itch and turn red and get fucking all filled with pus with a red line going to my heart like that's the old me the the the, the newer me is the one who says okay stop get in the shade stop think observe plan apply and do this and clean it disinfect it apply the whatever is the appropriate amount of um, turmeric powder except the fact that it's going to dye everything orange within a five mile radius and be okay with that and uh, and then wrap it in some gauze liberally but with breathing room and then liberally wrap it with the medical tape roll and that is just those, just that alone. And then maintaining, refreshing that dressing, keeping an eye on it, keeping it dry, etc. That to me is like um, that. Just statistically, having a strategy for those types of breaches of skin is basically ninety nine. of what you would ever have to fucking do anyway to keep yourself out of the fucking hospital for the most part, you know? Um, And that is something where how come for my whole life was I not issued a baby first aid kit and then a toddler first aid kit and then a... a... um, grade school first aid kit and then a college first aid kit on my belt as a, as a form of civic duty, a form of fashion, a way to be accepted. You know, I'm not, I'm not a fashion uh, guru or anything, 
but I will say that uh, to me that's the new sexy that is the new in thing and I'm going to look at someone and go what's your EDC what do you got on you if, if it's not hanging off your belt is it is it attached is it is it under is it hidden hidden on your ankle or in a in some something that you're carrying but ideally it's on your person and doesn't detach from you and that you can do those because it is those it's those critical fucking moments that matter the most the skin is so fucking important to keep intact and that's the majority of what will bring you down if you know unless you're just totally in condo bubble you know then your problems are the bed sores <laughs> the couch sores and the video game chair sores but even then you should have a strategy to fix your skin and you're probably doing a lot of damage if you're eating too much carbs and sugar in those environments as well but then what do you do you go to the drugstore you get your fucking prescription or you go to the hospital and i ain't going out like that so wish me luck i try not to be uh have too much um, bravado with this I do feel like there's a healthy criticism to have of the medical establishment no pun intended and there's there are many tiers of advanced wilderness first aid training there's there's field hospitals med tents there's all kinds of there's all kinds of stuff that I, that I I now have I now realize like this is my born again, medic, midlife crisis, you know, and um, it's it's very real. It's not it's not just uh, this is not, LARPing, <laughs> medical preparedness, is not fucking LARPing. In the sense that there's no stolen valor complex that anyone should have. And if you haven't heard that, it's kind of like, yeah, everyone wants... Every, all the gamers wish they were elite operators and the Navy SEALs or the Green Berets or the Rangers and whatnot. And the reality is, it's just a joke. Or even people who actually do go to the range or do practice small unit tactics with their friends with simunitions or even real live ammo and whatnot. Um, yeah, you can always say that that's just, those are just posers. But when it comes to, um, again, that ratio of like real life, real world, day-to-day every person living you're going to be encountering far less violence than you're going to be encountering attacks and assaults on your skin on your immune system and you should be kitted out to your taste to render aid to yourself to your loved ones and to the broader community if necessary which which I have done I'm not like a fucking 
um, Good Samaritan of the Year, but I have not only I don't know I not only use my everyday carry first aid supplies for myself, but if I see somebody who is in need, I can offer them that and provide them what they need to get themselves to uh, the next level. And um, yeah, there's just so much to learn. There's so much to practice. I hope this has been a an impetus for you to think more about integrating this into your lifestyle and um, <laughs> and hopefully you will not have to go anywhere near some of the extremes that I have in this lifetime to arrive at a prudent decision that that you should get, that you should always be enhancing your medical independence and you should always have medical supplies at hand and you should always have medical supplies on your person and um, that's all for now cheers Oh,